Good morning, Fairhill Church. My name is Steve Coward. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to open up the word with you this morning as we continue our way through the book of Colossians in a series that we are calling Christ is Enough. And, and this morning in particular, Paul is going to begin to talk to us about how it is that we, we change. So let's see that now in Colossians 2, starting at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh with the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be present with us now as we dive into your word? Uh, would you teach us um, how it is that we are able to walk in Christ? And as we do so, uh, might we be pointed again and again to the good news of the gospel? Uh, would you use this time to teach our hearts? And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I'm sure you're like me, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it is, you're seeing all of these graduation announcements and, and people graduating virtually, and it's a, very, it's, it's a very different world we are in right now, but at the same time, it kind of just reminded me, I was just thinking about my own graduations, whether it be from high school or college or seminary, and you know, anytime you graduate, you, you think you've like finally made it. You know, you're, you're finally there. Um, you, you've accomplished it and you're ready to move forward, you're, you're fully prepared and, and then you graduate and you're all excited and then you find out that you, not really. You know, here I am 17 years, wow, um, or thereabouts out of seminary and I'm still learning. Uh, as Peter and I work together, he's, he teaches me all the time. As, as I get together with, with the church, I, I'm again and again reminded how much we need each other and, and how much... I constantly have more to learn. You see, the, the point, and, and I think the point that I hope we'll see this morning, is that Paul, as he, as he begins to tell us how we walk in him, he wants to make it clear that we don't move on from Jesus. We, we don't graduate from him. We, we don't move on. We, we desperately and always need Jesus. Look at those first couple of verses. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so 
Walk in him, rooted up, built in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the first command, the first imperative uh, that we have uh, in the book of Colossians. And what does Paul do? He, he tells them to walk. But you, you notice the context here, right? Did you see that? Therefore, as you received Christ. He, he reminds them right from the get-go, remember, this is something that you've received. It's been something that's been given to you. It's not something that you have earned. You have received Christ. Now what I want you to do is I want you to begin to walk in him. But it's not a walking that you do on your own. It's, it's not you working through your efforts. It's not you like you're suddenly now rooted in yourself, And in your own strength now, you are going to move on walking. Paul says, no, what? Go on. And what? (laughs) Go on as one rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. How is it that we walk? We walk in him. We walk as ones who are united to Jesus. This beautiful thing of union with Christ. Uh, One of Paul's favorite ways to talk about us as believers, saying that we are in him, that we are in Christ, that we are with him. And Paul uses it over and over again. And if you didn't notice, he uses it quite a few times in our passage this morning as we're we're called as how we are in him. Uh, Recently in the mornings on the treadmill, I've been watching back through the Marvel movies. And of course, where else do you go to try to better understand union with Christ than The Marvel movies, of course. And, um, you know, I was just reminded, like, you think of, like, Iron Man. You know, Iron Man's kind of the guy, you know, he, like, he built himself up. You know, he created himself. He made himself into a superhero, right? Through his own strength and through his own money and through his own mind and all that stuff, he's able to create himself into a a superhero. But then you have other superheroes, uh, like Captain America or Spider-Man or something. And and how do they get it? They're injected with something, you know, something is, is introduced into them, something foreign comes into them, and then they become who they are. They become this superhero, if you will. And what we need to be reminded is, as we talk about this union with Christ, how we begin to walk in him, it, we're not Iron Man, we don't build ourselves up. It's something that is in, put into us. It's something that, it, foreign that comes in from the outside to us. It is Christ that comes into us, and we are with him. And and as a result, because of our union with Christ, we never get beyond Jesus. Uh, How is it that we continue in the faith? How is it that we will begin to walk? It's only in Jesus. It's only in our union with him. Because why? Because we can't add anything to Jesus. We can't add anything to what he has done. I mean, just think about it. What can you really contribute Uh, Have you ever really done anything out of pure motives? Have you ever really gone and you've done something totally for the glory of God? And, or maybe you're a little bit more like me, maybe probably not as bad as me, but, but you know, that, that, you know, yeah, okay, I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm doing it for the glory of Christ, but it's also a bit for the glory of Steve too, you know, every time we approach things, we, we approach them, even when we're trying to do good things, we, we end up finding ourselves approaching them with mixed motives. And so Paul's saying, you're never going to get beyond Jesus. You're never going to get beyond him and being bound up in him. And, and as we do this, the world is telling us all sorts of lies. You know, just think about it. If you had to fill in this, this sentence, how, how would you fill it in? If I had... Blank. If I had, what, what is it that if you had it, 
you would be satisfied. And there's probably many things, if you're like me, there's probably many things that you can put into that blank. I even think of right now, what we're doing right now, you know, to kind of open up the, the veil a little bit on, on what we're doing right now. Um, as, as I'm sitting here trying to preach to you as you're on your sofa there, I'm in here with three guys and, uh, you know, and they're, it's really tough. I don't have a group of people watching me and, you know, I can look over at them and they're nodding their head, yes. And look, I get it. You're nodding your head, yes, because you just caught the preacher looking at you. It's probably not to really encourage me. But to be honest, like, I need people because I need to see that I'm receiving others' approvals. And Peter's back there trying as hard as he can because he knows how much I need my approval. He's back there nodding his head and and trying as much as he can to encourage me because he knows how much I need that as I'm preaching. You know, we, we look to all sorts of places other than Christ for our satisfaction in life. Um, and so what do we do with that? Paul, and Paul continues to talk to us about that in verse 8. What does he say? Here's the second command, actually. It's very interesting. This is the, the second command in the book of, of Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive. That's the command. See to it. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul's warning the Colossian, he he knows us way too well. We get sucked in by the philosophies of this world. I was just talking to you about how I get sucked in to the philosophies of the world, how I get sucked in by things like needing others' approval. You know, there's all these things that suck us in. And we get sucked in and we, we, we buy into the philosophies of this world. And Paul says that they are empty. And yet we keep going after them. He says, don't let them. Don't, don't let them take you captive. Don't do it. Don't fall for it again. And, and what do we find ourselves doing but adding things to the gospel? And, and next week we'll talk some more about some of the particulars of those that the Colossians were doing. They were celebrating certain special days, or at least they thought they, you know, there's certain laws that they had to keep. And, and ultimately, as we'll see, Paul says, all of those things, they're of no value. They're of no value because of what is of real value is your union with Christ, that you are united with him. You see, we, we shouldn't believe the lie, that lie that was you know, over those gates at the concentration camps, or at least a couple of them uh, back during World War II, and the Jews and others would walk through, and, and there above it, it, basically the translation was, work makes free. Work makes free. Work will set you free. And what a lie it was to them as they're going to their death. And yet that's the lie that we often buy into. The empty philosophies of this world that work will set us free, that if we do, maybe, you know, it's that false hope. You know, most of us, we probably know better in our heads, but in reality, in the way that we live, we live more like this, we believe that maybe, just maybe, we can do enough good works that are going to outweigh our bad. Now, most of us, you're saying, well, of course, I don't believe that. Your theology may be better than that. You may know that that's not true, that you can't earn your way, but how do we live? Do we live as those who say work makes free? It's hard to believe that it's really as simple. It's really as simple as Jesus did it all. 
That's hard for us to grasp. It's so counter to what? These human traditions around us, these philosophies that the world tells us, it's, it's so opposed to it. And so Paul is grabbing the Colossians and maybe us this morning too by the shoulders and saying, no, those things will not bring you freedom. They're not going to bring you true joy. Only Jesus will bring you that freedom, that satisfaction that you long for. And you see, because we are found in him, because we are united in him, what he has, we have. What he has, we have. And so, but what does this look like, really? What, what is this in reality? What, what does this really look like? I had the privilege, well, it's been way too many years ago now, but of working quite a few summers out in Colorado at a Young Life camp. And when I was there, I was doing like high ropes course, you know, zip lines, all that kind of stuff, and rappelling cliffs, and um, all that kind of real fun stuff. And um, one summer, I was actually out there, I was like in charge of it for the entire summer. I was the one who oversaw it all and uh, trained everybody and those kind of things. And it was during that summer, there was this girl that, that came to camp, and I guess she must have had cerebral palsy, maybe, or some form, something like that. And um, as a result, she was wheelchair bound. And she couldn't, she had no control over her legs. She had very little control over her arms. And, and word got to us that she still wanted to go rappelling. And we said, okay, we'll see if we can make this happen. And so we figured out a way to try to drive her as close as we could. And then others carried her. And then we engineered some ropes and stuff to be able to help pull her up that last little bit of bouldering that was required to get to the top of the rappelling cliff. And we clipped her in and everything and, and helped her over the side and got her over the side and slowly we started lowering her down. Now, in a sense, she wasn't really repelling because, you know, repelling is like you're the one who controls your descent. You, you kick off the side of the mountains and, and here she is. She's being lowered down slowly to the bottom of the repelling cliff and kind of spinning around. And as you looked at her, it was just sheer and pure joy. You've never seen anyone more happy. I probably put well over a thousand kids over the side of that rappelling cliff and helped them all the way to the bottom. Never saw anybody with more joy as she was rappelling. You know, she did nothing. She, we did it all for her. She did absolutely nothing, but she got to enjoy all the benefits of going rappelling in the Rocky Mountains overlooking the, the Arkansas River Valley and this beautiful place. She got all of the benefits of going repelling with none of the work. And what we need to understand is, is that's very much what we're talking about, is we're talking about being united with him. We do nothing, and yet we get everything in Jesus. See how Paul takes us to there, verse 9. For in him, for in him, in Jesus... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him is, is, is everything. And you have been filled in him who is the head of and rule and authority because you have Jesus. You get all the fullness that, that, that comes with Jesus. You're, you're made, because you're in him, because you're united to Jesus, if you've trusted in him, if, if you or a believer, then, then you're united to him and you get all the benefits, you get the fullness 
of Jesus, and it doesn't just end there, verse 11, in him also you are circumcised, circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from, from the dead. You know, others were telling the Colossian church that somehow they weren't complete. They, they weren't really complete in Jesus. They, they needed to add some, some other things, and Paul's saying, no. There's absolutely nothing lacking in Jesus. And if you're a believer, you're united to him. Therefore, there's nothing lacking in you. If you're in Christ, in whom there is no lack, there's nothing lacking in you. You get his perfect record. It's yours because it's his. It's yours because it's his. We, we get all the benefits with none of the work in him. You were circumcised through his baptism. You, you, you died with him. You were raised up with him. He's done it all because you're in him. And don't believe for a moment that lie that somehow work will set you free. Instead, believe that, that in him you have a new, a new identity. It's your identity. You, you see, and because of that, we don't have to go and, and try to work really hard so that we will be united with him. And in fact, it works the opposite way. It's because we are united with him. Because we are found in him. Because what he has, we have, we begin to change. The, the only way, really the only way that you and I, that, that we really change is when we understand, when we begin to really comprehend who we are in Christ. Who it is that we are in Jesus. You, you know, the apple tree, it doesn't have to like work really hard at producing apples. If it's got good soil and stuff, it just, that's what it does. That's what it does. It just produces apples. And if you're in Christ, in, in good soil, you produce the fruit. It's just natural. It begins to take place. It, it almost can't be helping. You don't make that fruit by trying really hard. That fruit should begin to come natural because of your union with him. Sinclair Ferguson, he puts it this way. This, then, is the foundation of sanctification. Sanctification is how we become more and more like Christ, how we grow in our faith. He says, it is rooted not in humanity and their achievement or holiness. It's not in what we do, but in what God has done in Christ and for us in union with him. It is seeing oneself in that context that enables the Christian to grow in true holiness. It's when we understand our, our union with him, when we really begin to comprehend it, that, that things begin to change in us, that we can't help because we understand and we have mined the depths of the gospel. So Paul helps the Colossians to think through that a bit, and he takes them to what immediately might seem to be a little bit of an odd place to us. Look at verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
In order for them to understand who they are in Christ, he reminds them of who they were before Christ. He reminds them that before Christ, they were. Before Christ, you, I, we were all dead. We're all born dead, spiritually dead. Now, I know this may be a little profound for you, but it's really important that we get this point, that being dead really means that you're dead. Okay? And, and dead people, they don't do anything. And, and so that, you got to understand when Paul's talking about you being dead, that's how dead you were. And we got to be careful because sometimes we think of things like, well, that person, I mean, I know I was dead, but that person, that person was really dead. You know, and we think through this, maybe even in this kind of context, maybe as we're sharing testimonies or something and, and you hear that other person's testimony, you're like, wow, wow, how, how God transformed them. And, you know, they were, they were so, so dead and, and God transformed them and made them uh, alive. And, and, and you begin to think of that and you begin to say, well, I wish, you know, I had that kind of testimony. It would be so much easier to believe and, and be transformed. But do you understand what you're doing? When you begin to say things like that, you're saying that person was more dead than I was. You think somehow it's a bigger miracle that they came to faith than that you did. The gospel is a great leveling ground. We are all equally dead. We are all equally dead. And, and, and when, we, when we start thinking through those things, we're showing that we don't quite understand what the gospel really means, what's really been done for us. We need to understand that starting point, that we were really dead, and that we're not talking about Princess Bride kind of stuff. We're not talking about being mostly dead. Okay, there, there is no mostly dead. There's only all dead. Okay, we, we all started off just as dead. None of us started off any better than, than, than any others, and it's just as much a miracle that what Paul says next has taken place in any of us. Let's look at that, verse 13. And you are continuing in verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. What does he say? That you who, who, who were dead, what, is, what has happened? You've been made alive. The most incredible miracle in all of creation. That, that people dead in their sins have been made alive in Christ. It's one of the most incredible miracles ever that he has, has forgiven our trespasses. It, it seems incomprehensible, and you begin to wonder, how could this even take place? How could this ever be true? And, and Paul immediately tells them exactly how it is that it is true. Verse 14. How is it true? What did Christ do? What happened? He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. One commentator puts it this way. It might even be said that he took the document, the ordinances and all. You know, that, that document, if you will, that details everything that you, or everything that I have ever done. All of those really bad things, all of those naughty things, all those things that the accuser points out to me and says, you're not good enough. 
All of those things that are the reason that I don't deserve life. All of that sin, all of that guilty record and what happens with it, he nailed it to his cross as an act of triumphant defiance in the face of those blackmailing powers that were holding it over men and women in order to command their allegiance. Do you understand what he did? Do you understand what was nailed to that cross for you? Paul was dealing with a people who who were beginning to think that maybe they needed some more to be full. They needed something else to be complete. And he's reminding them, no, you need to go back to the cross. You need to understand, you need to be reminded again of what your union with Jesus really means, what he accomplished on the cross You need to understand that you being united in him means that you've been made alive. That you are dead. And he brought you back to life, forgiving and washing over your sins. That that his death, that that death some 2,000 years ago, that his death 2,000 years ago, because you are united to him, was your death as well. And that when he rose, you rose with him because you are united to him in that way. Do you? Do you really believe that some 2,000 years ago, all of it, your whole record, all of those sins, do you really believe that 2,000 years ago it was really nailed to that cross? Do you really believe he did it all? Paul wanted the Colossians, I believe. He wanted us to taste, to know the incredible sweetness, the incredible joy of our union with Christ. That we get all of the benefits. We get it all. He's done it all for us. It's it's not us working really hard to be really good. It's not us being like Iron Man and, and creating this really great, great superhero outfit. No, he has done it all. And we get all of the benefits. What is true of him is true of us. And as a result of that, as the work that was done on this cross, there is no more condemnation. There is no more shame. And so we must understand that we're never going to move on from Jesus. That walking in him is a continuation of having received him. There's continuity between when we receive Jesus and now when we begin to walk in him, we're able to walk Because we're united with him. And we desperately, desperately need him each and every day. We we should all be able to say that there is more to me than what I've done. There's more to me than than, than those things that make me feel guilty at night or, or, or that bring me shame. 
There's more to me than that because I have Christ. I'm united to him. We need to understand that we are not a disappointment to our father. We aren't a disappointment to him because we are in Christ. We, we need to understand and believe and that we really are forgiven. That it really was all paid at the cross. That we really are loved. That we really are sung over. Don't believe the lie for a minute that somehow one day you're going to kind of be able to graduate. You're going to be able to move on. Um, that somehow you're, there, there's another way to become complete. No. That has already taken place in Jesus, in Christ. And because of that, we're able to begin to follow him. We're able to begin to walk in him. Now, now don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that it doesn't require some hard work on our side at times. It doesn't mean that we don't need to do those things that we call like the spiritual disciplines, right? Of, of, of reading the word, of prayer, of gathering together, even as we're doing now. Gathering together as a church and, and worshiping together and hearing the word preached and, 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 and doing the sacraments together. Those, those are all important things. They, they don't save us. They don't make us united to him. But they are, the thing, they are the things that give us a fertile soil to grow. So that our roots grow deep. And so that, that we're nourished. And, and how is it that we're nourished? We're, we're, we're nourished because those things, what, what do they do? They should be constantly reminding us of our union with him. Those things, the reading your Bible, prayer, gathering together in worship, those things constantly remind us of the good news of the gospel. They constantly remind us that, that Jesus did it all, that he really paid it all 2,000 years ago, that it was really all nailed to the cross. 2,000 years ago. And because of that, and as we're reminded of that, the fruit begins to take place. The fruit begins to grow as we walk in him. As we walk as those who are reminded, as, as we begin to, to, to fully grasp who we are. And, and it's not because we believe that somehow we're earning our way before him. That somehow we're making ourselves united to him. But that it's because we understand that we have already received Jesus Christ the Lord. We've already received him. We already have him. We're already united to him. And so we begin to walk in him. And it's only there. It's only, it's only in Jesus that you and I will find that true joy that we're looking for. It's only there that we're going to find that true satisfaction. It's only there that we are going to be made and find ourselves complete. It's only in him, in Christ, in our union with him. It's there 
that we'll find ourselves growing and maturing as we are reminded again. Reminded again of the good news of the gospel. Reminded again that he did it all. And we get all the benefits. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess sometimes it is hard to believe it. But we thank you that it's true. We thank you that we truly are united to Christ. If we have trusted in him, if we believe in him, we are united to him. And what's true of him is true of us. And would you help us all as we, we go through even this just this week ahead? Would you help to remind our hearts of these truths when we're tempted to believe otherwise. When we're tempted to believe it's going to be through our own efforts or our own strength, our own willpower. Would you, at that, those moments, would you remind us again that Jesus, our Savior, has already done it all would you remind us that we get all the benefits? We thank you. We thank you that because of Jesus, because of what he's done, we're united with him. We're in union with him. What's true of him is true of us. Go with us now into this week ahead, we pray, in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now hear, hear this blessing and benediction as we go our separate ways this morning. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. God bless you all. Um, we're excited to hopefully be gathering with some of you. Um, here next week. Some of you will be joining us still online, and, and we certainly understand that, but we're, we're excited that things are beginning to change, that we're beginning to hopefully move back towards uh, gathering together soon. Make sure you check out the website and get all the details uh, for some of the changes that are upcoming and the changes of times and all those things that, that, that may be occurring as we move into the future. God bless and hope you all have a great week.